0: Acts 42 and 47 of um, 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere (coughs) hearts. 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. May God bless the ears and doors of his holy words. Amen. Thanks, Derek. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that in it you show us who you are. That this is the instrument you use to reveal who you are and what you're doing. To give us clarity of mind and clarity of heart, so I pray in those moments that you would move by your spirit to open the eyes of our hearts that we might see the promise of the gospel right here in Acts chapter 2, and we might trust in you. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I didn't realize how messed up the English language was until I really started learning other languages than English. Now, I took Spanish growing up. I think everybody has to take a foreign language, and I should have kept enough Spanish, but... It's mostly gone, which is sad because I did take a lot of Spanish classes. I know enough to say "se poco de español," which means I know little Spanish, and that's about it. I can roll my R's, anyway. But I didn't really realize how messed up English was until I started learning languages in seminary. I had to learn Greek and Hebrew so I could read the Old Testament and the New Testament in the original languages. But when I started diving into these other languages, I realized that my language is a mess. Have you ever thought about it? We have all kinds of rules for English. So, like, I before E except after C, except for we have so many words that have E before I. It's a rule that is almost honored in the breach. Like, it, it's there, but we break it more often than we, than we don't. We have vowels, right? Our vowels are what? A, E, I, O, and U. Sometimes Y and W. Why? I don't know. Did A, E, I, and U not have enough, like, work to do? I, I have no idea. Or take the the words there, there, and there. There, there, and there. They are, you know, the contraction. There, as in those people. And there, as in that place. Those are all sound the same. They're spelled differently and they mean something else. English is a mess, y'all. And one of the biggest problems, though. One of the biggest problems with English, for me, is that we don't have a second person plural. Here's what I mean. When I want to say... Uh, when I'm, if I'm speaking to somebody else and I'm talking about Derek, I, say, I can say you. And you know I'm talking to you, individual, personal, Derek. But if I want to refer to all of you, do we have a word for that? No, we don't. I say you. But it's supposed to mean, now we should say y'all. Thanks for writing. We should say y'all, and I'm getting there. But I have to say all of you, or you all. Now, we have a fix for that. Hank does, and I believe in it too. Y'all. Just say y'all. Everybody knows what it means. You all, y'all. But you know, if you've ever tried to write that in anything, in a school paper, you're going to get marked off because it's not proper English, right? Y'all is not proper English. Now, that's annoying in school papers. I can say that as a kid who grew up saying y'all, and I still say y'all. But here's where it becomes a problem. When you pick up your English Bible translations and you open it to a random passage— You're not going to find y'all in there. But let me tell you, there are so many passages where it says you, where it really should say y'all, where it means you all. It means you as a group. One of the places that's actually true is our confession of sin and assurance of pardon passage from 1 Peter 2. Now, it's talking about a group of people, obviously. It's talking about chosen people, holy nation. But it hits a little bit harder. When you take those you's out and you put y'alls in, y'all are chosen. In other words, when Peter wrote this, he wasn't writing to individual people to give them inspiration necessarily. He was writing to a group of people that they may understand that their identity is meant to be formed together, that they hold these promises that Jesus has made to them together. To say it a different way, there's an essential and important y'all to the gospel. There's a yall to what Jesus is up to. And that's what I want to talk about this morning in Acts chapter 2. The you of the gospel. The you of the gospel. What we call, and it's printed for us in our bulletins, the good news of a new community. That we're imperfect people joined together for worship, encouragement, and the good of our neighbor. The you of the gospel. So let's look look at Acts 2 and see where we see this kind of borne out in this passage. I'm going to break the passage up into a couple different parts. I'm actually going to use our definition for a new community. So the first section is this, we are. We are. The youth of a nation. Sorry. That was a terrible song reference. We are. We are. Our passage this morning, Acts chapter 2, it comes a couple of months after the resurrection of Jesus. So just a couple months after Jesus had died on the cross, risen from the dead, and in that time after he had risen from the dead, he had spent time with his disciples who became the apostles. He had taught them what the kingdom of God was like. He had taught them what they were going to spend the rest of their lives doing, serving other people by traveling into all the world and starting churches. Essentially traveling into all the world and in each individual town and city they come to. Start these little new communities that were surrounding the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he had promised them before he left, before he ascended into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. He had said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, which is better for you than me staying here. That's hard for me to to understand. I would love to have flesh and blood Jesus right there. That sounds great to me. But flesh and blood Jesus is, stuck's the wrong word. He's limited in space. He says he's going to send his Holy Spirit. And that's good because that means that the presence of God with his people is not limited to one place. The Holy Spirit is given to all. It's the, it's the empowering presence of God that's given to all his people. And the Holy Spirit is going to empower them to be witnesses that Jesus is alive. And that means everything has changed. Everything's split on its head because Jesus is alive. And in Acts chapter 2, right before our passage, that has happened. The Holy Spirit has come, and it's come in a powerful way. And the Apostle Peter, this very flawed man, stands up and he gives what, what is the first sermon of the early church. First sermon of the early church. It probably took him like 10 minutes to preach it too, if you read through it. So. Um, anyway, but it, the first sermon, and 3,000 people respond, which is incredible. And in a day, the church goes from 120 people that can fit in one kind of room together to 3,000. And our passage right now is the immediate aftermath of of what happened there, Which means Acts tells us that incredible amounts of people come to faith in Jesus in a single day, and the next thing it tells us is not about the individual deeds that these individual people have figured out to do. The next thing it tells us is about the community that was created. It tells us about the yaw of the gospel. Look at it again. It tells us what they did together. They worshiped together. They learned together. They lived together. They ate together. They shared troubles and victories together. As the gospel has taken root in their hearts, it has turned them toward one another. And they've realized a crucial aspect to what Jesus is doing. A crucial aspect of the gospel that we do not receive the promises of God as individuals. We receive them together as a community. This is something the Apostle Paul realized. If you keep reading the New Testament, he wrote 13 books of the New Testament, and in all those 13 books that he wrote, he calls Jesus my Lord one time. One time. In all 13 of those books, he calls Jesus our Lord 53 times. Paul had it ingrained in his heart and in his head that there was an essential community aspect to what the gospel is. The gospel creates a community, and it's not an accident. There's a unique power in seeing God's transformative grace at work in other people. Because we can't always see it at work in our own hearts, right? If you follow Jesus more than two weeks, you know that's true. There's going to be some days where it just feels like there's no fruit coming from your heart, where you're discouraged and in doubt. But there's a unique power of being able to turn and look at other people and say, I can see it there. I know it's true. And as we see the power of God's love at work in each other, we get a truer picture of the magnitude of His love. And that's why we consider this good news of a new community to be a crucial part of our church's message. It's why we put it in the bulletin every single week. Because it's not an accident that this happens. The new community of the gospel is God's idea. That's what the local church is. That God not only loves me, He does. He not only loves you, He does. He loves us. He loves y'all, the y'all of the gospel. So as we hear the good news of a new record, which we talked about two weeks ago, justification by faith alone, That we are righteous in God's sight because he declares us righteous. As we hear that and as we hear the good news and experience the good news of God giving us a new heart, changing our motivations, making Jesus and his love our motive and our way to thrive, we are joined to each other. And this is not meant to just be an unrealistic ideal. That's what it sounds like sometimes, I think. But this is supposed to be a tangible reality. It's why this passage emphasizes the tangible things. Notice it does not say that they were brought together and they felt really good about each other. I'm sure that existed. I'm sure that's true. It doesn't emphasize that they felt a unity, though I'm sure they did feel a unity with each other. But the unity that's emphasized here in Acts 2 is a physical one. If you ask them how they knew they belonged to a new community, they could point to the food in their bellies. They could point to the bills that had been paid by people selling their property to fulfill the need of somebody else. They could point to their lives lived together. The new community here isn't just a feeling of unity. It's a tangible reality. And the power of this new community was embodied there. And it was obvious to them within the church, but it was obvious to people outside the church too. It talks about how they enjoyed the favor of all the people, and I'll speak about that a little bit more in a second. But it's meant to point out here that this new community wasn't just an idea. It wasn't just an ideal. It was a reality. These people were doing life together. They were together eating in sorrow and in joy together. But for us, that might seem like something very far away from our experience. Or maybe we've experienced something like this before, but it ended poorly and we got hurt somewhere along the way. Or maybe it feels like these Christians here in Acts 2, they just had to be like the Avengers of Christians, the superheroes. And whatever they're experiencing has to be very far from us because there's no way we match up. Like they're superheroes from a forgotten age. But here's the thing. And this is bringing me to my second section. That's not the truth at all. Because just like we are, they are imperfect people joined together. That's my second section. Imperfect people joined together. When we speak about the good news of a new community, we call ourselves what? An imperfect people joined together. And that's true not just of us, but this group here next Acts It's not obvious in these verses that are printed for us here But this group is the people that two months earlier had abandoned Jesus completely. This is the group that two months earlier had fled. Peter, the one who got up and preached on the day of Pentecost, that led to the 3,000 people coming to faith. He is a man that outright denied that he even knew Jesus with his words, not two months earlier. Even after the resurrection of Jesus, you can see this in Matthew 28, they've eaten with Jesus, they've seen him alive and in his body right there having defeated death, and it says they worshipped him and some doubted. They worshipped him and some doubted. And even after this, you keep reading in the book of Acts, the first crisis that the early church uh, has is because the apostles mishandled the distribution of food. To widows. They show preference to widows that speak Hebrew instead of Hebrews that or, or, or widows that speak Greek. So this is not a perfect group of people. I point this out because this is a group of imperfect people that have found the grace of God. They're being transformed, they're following after Jesus together, but they remain people who are in many ways ignorant, still struggle with sin, still struggle with doubt. That's who is embodying this new community. Why? Why can they... uh, We see here that their their imperfections are not a barrier. They're not a barrier for them experiencing and living in this new community. They're not perfect, but the new community is not a gospel for perfect people. Their weaknesses, their failures, they're not barriers from them belonging, being seen and known and truly loved. Because the thing that binds them together is not their perfection. The things that bind them together is not their achievements. What binds them together is Jesus. And just like they've been joined to Him by faith, they're joined to one another in Him. That's good news for us. We don't have to wait to achieve some level of spiritual maturity or wait for perfection before we truly live in communion with each other. We don't have to wait till we reach this, we can jump over this this certain bar to be able to lean into the reality of a new community. We don't have to try to get to a place where our struggles are all in the past and then we can pursue community and friendship. And that's good news because if we never, if we try to wait till we're perfect, it'll never happen. But we too, with all of our flaws, We can be a community of people devoted to the apostles' teaching, as it says here. For us, that's being devoted to what scripture says. We too can be devoted to living with one another, feasting with one another, in each other's homes, carrying each other's burdens. When one of us has trouble, it's our troubles. We never walk alone. When one of us has joys and things to celebrate, we celebrate together We too can be a community that live in awe of how God is bringing life to us and bringing life to others. We too can dwell together with glad and sincere hearts. We don't have to hide in church. We don't have to hide in church. Now, I know we live in the Bible Belt. We live in a place where more often than not our experience with church is that we do need to hide because if we truly open our hearts up to be known, oh, we don't measure up, right? We don't measure up to this ideal or that. We hide, but we don't have to pretend. The church is not meant to be a museum where we gather together and we put our works of art on the wall to be admired. Now, I can think of ways that churches teach the opposite of this. But I grew up in church and I remember being in Sunday school classes and charred on the wall, and I got literally a star for attendance. And my name would be there and it would a star for each of the days. And then if I had perfect attendance, I'd get literally a, a paper that I could put on the wall to celebrate my perfect attendance. And that's, I mean, attendance at Sunday school is great. Attendance at worship is great. We should prioritize it. It would be utterly transformative if we are all here every week living life together. But the church is not supposed to be a place where we pat ourselves on the backs for how devout we are. That's preposterous. It runs against what Jesus is doing. We are not supposed to come into the church and find just another system to value, uh, to to grade and judge each other on. Just another thing for us to feel good about ourselves and look down on others. It's not what the church is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a place to perform.
1: So are you imperfect?
0: Are you flawed? So am I. Welcome to the club. Well, to the club. So is everyone else in this room. Let's be imperfect together. Let's be flawed together. Let's learn from the wisdom of 12-step programs that stand up and the first thing they say is I'm 10, I'm 11. What if I stood up every morning on Sunday mornings and I said, I am Tim, and I'm the worst sinner in this room? What if that's that's just how we started every service? Because it's true. It's not posturing, it's not performing. We start from a place where we don't measure each other on these religious things, we don't measure each other on stuff that does not matter. We're joined together in the grace of Jesus. So we are imperfect people joined together for what? And this brings us to our next section, our last section. We're joined together for worship, for love and encouragement, and the good of our neighbor. This new community is a place where we're turned to each other, not in suspicion, not in competition, but we're joined together in a body. We didn't read one of those passages this morning, but one of the most prominent images in the New Testament of what the church is meant to be is a body. Jesus as the head. And then we're all the individual members. We're fingers and toes and arms and legs and eyes and ears and mouths. We bring our different experiences and our different gifts to the table. We look completely different from each other. We might have a different function than one another in the body, but we all intimately need one another to work together as one body. One body. We belong to each other. And as one body, we are pointed upward toward God, we're pointed inward toward one another, and we're pointed outward to the world outside the church, to the communities and the places where we've been put, and the people that are in the places where God has put us. We're pointed upward toward God. We're a worshiping community because God is our very source of life. He is our Lord. We seek to glorify Him, but not just glorify Him. We seek to enjoy Him. To revel in the gospel. To obey his voice and value what he values. When churches lose this, when they lose this upward orientation toward God, they lose their very source of life. Second, we're pointed inward toward one another. We've already talked about this some. But our victories become each other's victories. We rejoice together. We take on each other's sorrows and we mourn together. And when churches lose that, they become little more than something like a political party. People join together under one idea that they're all just kind of looking for their own benefit, not looking toward other people. We've already talked about those some, but I want to talk about the last one of these. That as a new community, we are pointed toward others. We're pointed toward others in the places where God has put us. In this passage, it speaks about them meeting together every day where? In the temple courts. In the temple courts. In Jerusalem, this would have been the most public place in the city. Every single day, they went there on purpose. And they gathered together with each other on purpose. Now, it didn't stay there. It goes on to say that that meeting in the temple courts was often capped off with them eating dinner in each other's homes... But I think they met in public places because they knew that the new community wasn't meant to be segmented off and removed from the place that they lived They weren't supposed to circle the wagons in fear and go off and have their own meeting like it was a secret club. The new community that God was at work to bring to life was meant to be good news for Jerusalem. In the same way that our church here, in Don, is meant to be good news, not just for us that we can gather in this place, good news for the city of Don. Good news for those outside. That's how they could, in verse 47, notice it says, they enjoyed the favor of all the people. They were well regarded by people who did not believe what they believed. They were well regarded by people who were completely different than them. Now, it doesn't say explicitly why, but this had to happen because people saw both how they treated each other and how they lived with one another, and also because people experienced how they treated them. They enjoyed the favor of the people outside the church because of people's experience of who they were together. And this beauty of a new community's life together, it was an essential part of what made the gospel plausible for people that's why the next sentence after that is our final final one they enjoyed all the favor of the people is followed by and the lord added to their number daily those who were being saved were people responding to a message that was preached absolutely the gospel has content the reality of jesus's life death and resurrection was being preached But how did that message that Jesus was alive and it changed everything become plausible in the hearts and minds of people who were coming to faith? Because they saw it embodied in this new community. The life of this new community together in front of their eyes is what made this message plausible and real to them. People could believe that Jesus had defeated death and that it changed everything. Because here was a group of people whose existence they could not explain in any other way. They couldn't just say, well these people are, they all like the same sports team. So of course they they like each other. Of course they sell what they have to provide for the needs of others because they all pull for the targets. You can't, that's not what's going on here. People looked at this new community and they said, I cannot explain this. I don't know how this is happening. But what they're saying about Jesus defeating the power of death, Jesus bringing a new creation out of them individually and together, this has to be true because I cannot explain this community any other way. Because what else would make people do something so crazy as sell their property for the needs of others? Except that they, as a community together, had been given new hearts and motivations. That thing wasn't just limited to Acts chapter 2, which we're talking about this morning. Hundreds of years later, the emperor Julian, his name was Julian the Apostate. He was actually the last non-Christian emperor of Rome. Hundreds of years later, he was very frustrated by Christians in the church. And we actually have some personal letters that he wrote to people underneath him. And they were trying to come up with uh, programs to kind of cut off the power of the church's servants. And he wrote in frustration to those under him words like this. It's their benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and their so-called holiness of their lives that has done the most to increase atheism. Now, it's funny, he called it atheism because the Christians would not believe in the false gods of Rome. Early Christians were called atheists. Because they wouldn't buy into the false gods of the Roman Empire. But notice what he's saying. What has increased their number and kept them going is their benevolence to strangers. Their care for graves. The so-called holiness of their lives. He hated Christianity. But he could not deny that the presence of churches in his empire meant kindness to others. It meant care for the dead. It meant support for the poor. He wrote another letter, he said, they support not only their poor, but ours as well. And all people see is that our people lack aid from us. In other words, hundreds of years later, after Acts chapter 2, the frustration of an emperor that hated Christianity, we see the good news of a new community. It means good news to the city. It means good news to where this new community is. Because people aren't just concerned with their own stuff, but they're turned toward service of others. Now, I don't think our passage this morning is supposed to be just something we read, and it's something that's meant to be unrepeated or unrepeatable. It might not look exactly the same here in the It might look very different. We don't have temple courts to go to, Right? But this vision of a new community is meant to be one that comes to life right here. So, our question as we are finishing up our time in this passage this morning is how can we pursue this? How can we see this happen here? I think the first one is to always remember it's founded in Jesus. It's not founded on our good intentions. We can never leave who he is and what he has done behind. The new community that's described here and the beauty of it can only happen out of a place where Jesus is Lord, where Jesus and His grace is pointed to, where we value what He values. The second one's this. We have to be intentional about life together. We have to be intentional about building friendships. Um, And this doesn't just happen in church programs. It does happen in church. Church programs can facilitate this. can be things, you know, events that we go to where we're together with each other But I think um, the calling for us here is to become intentional about pursuing one another. Maybe on Sundays we make plans out the gate to do lunch with other people in the church. Have them over at our house or go somewhere together. Be intentional. And and it might be awkward, and that's okay. We can get through the awkwardness. It's worth pursuing. I'm sure it was awkward when people in Acts chapter 2... Um, were first like dipping their toe into eating together every day. When people had to bring up, I have some intense needs and I can't foot the bill. I'm sure that was awkward, but they pushed through the awkwardness because Jesus was worth it and the people that Jesus had bought with his blood were worth it. So we have to be intentional about our friendships and push through that awkwardness and not just let it happen in the midst of programs and events. And the other one, The last one is this. In our minds and in our posture, we have to make room for other people. When new people come through the door on Sundays, or new people are at something as a church that we're doing together, we go out of our way to be hospitable and welcome. When we see someone come in, don't swamp them. I don't mean like jump on them. Don't scare them away. But be intentional about welcoming somebody about shaking a hand, about connecting with a person. Because every person that comes in that door is God bringing another person in, a person who, just like us, needs something like the new community of the gospel. Because we all inhabit communities in our jobs, at school, sometimes even in our homes, that value us on things that do not matter. And just like when we walk in the door, we need to be washed with the gospel of Jesus. And we need to hear that we are loved, period. With a love that we did not earn so we cannot lose. Every person that walks in that door needs to know and feel and experience that.
1: So let's be intentional about this. Let's stay
0: centered on Jesus. Let's pursue friendship with others in realness, in authenticity, not pretending. And let's open that door as wide as we possibly can with a welcome for whoever will come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of a new community. We thank you that in Jesus you have brought us to reconciliation with you and you've reconciled us to each other. We pray, Lord, as we keep the gospel center in this church, or as you keep the gospel centered. In this church and the work of Jesus as the defining thing of who we are, or that you would call us in our lives to be turned toward each other. That Christ Church, done, no matter how small or big it will ever be, no matter how long it will last, will be a place, a community that embodies and lives out this call of a new community. That we would see the realities of something like Acts 2, born to life here in us. We thank you for it in advance. We thank you for the ways that you've already done it and the spirit of love and friendship that already exists here. Work in us, Lord, for your glory, for our good. We pray all this in the name of Jesus.